I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Malachi. We're studying in the book of Malachi. Uh, Malachi is one of the last, or I should say the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he um, is the, the last word before 400 years of silence. And then, lo and behold, the book of Matthew starts. But here in Malachi, it tells us about the voice of one crying in the wilderness that's going to come. But he says there's going to be 400 years of silence. He doesn't say how many years, but uh, what he says is that there's going to be a great problem because the people would not do what God says do. They were going like to the, not then, they didn't have a synagogue, but they were going to the temple and going through the motions. And then they were offering sacrifices. Now, the priest had to perform the sacrifices in the temple. But it was only a ritual, and like Christ says, your heart is far from me. You can say with the lips, oh, I love the Lord, but by your life, it says just the opposite. So the Lord is rebuking them. And if you will, look there in Malachi in chapter 1. He asked a couple questions, and he made some statements. See there in verse 6, A son honoreth his father, a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? If I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest, that despise my name. And you say, Wherein have we despised thy name? And he says, Wherein have we polluted thee? In verse 7. So it asked a bunch of questions, and what was being stated was that God had had it up to here with these people. Because, you see, they had been in captivity. And why had they gone into captivity? Because of their wickedness. Because the prophets didn't prophesy correctly. The priests, they didn't do their job correctly. The people... They were easily led astray because of the wickedness of their priest. Because the priest, he had the law and was supposed to teach the people the law. You know, right from wrong, how to discern. So the whole nation was corrupt. And in chapter 1, Isaiah says, the Lord says that from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head, you're like totally sick. You're evil and you're corrupt. So God says, I'm going to take some people from another nation. I'm going to bring them in here, and I'm going to whoop the tar out of you. So that's what he did. But he gave them warning. Over and over again, he gave them warning. Israel wouldn't listen. And so here comes Syria and took the ten northern tribes and took them into captivity. And now the prophecy is that uh, God's going to take the uh, two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and take them into captivity. So they were taken into uh, Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. After 70 years, you would think, well, finally, God's people have learned their lesson. Boy, they're going to be straightened out now. Well, not so fast. After 70 years, Ezra and Nehemiah brought them back, a bunch of them, about 50,000 the first time. Nehemiah went back the second time, brought about 1,800. There was a bunch of the people that had gone into captivity, and they didn't want to come back. They had become so corrupt, they wanted to stay there. 
I guess by now they're, they're old and decrepit and didn't want to move. But when they came back, well, the walls were torn down, the temple was destroyed, the gates were burned, everything was in a mess. And so Nehemiah had fun trying to get the people to, to work. And so they rebuilt the wall and the temples and so forth, and the Bible says they had to um, keep the sword at one hand and lay block with the other because there was people that were trying to stop them. But a few years after that, even Nehemiah had to get with the people because of their wickedness. And so he was used by the Lord to kind of shake them a little bit. They straightened up a little bit, but it didn't last very long. I've, I've noticed that in camps. I've taken teenagers to camp, and we isolate them from the radio, the TV, and the iPhone, and the telephone, and this phone, and that thing, and this and that, and get away from all that junk, and give them the Bible, and a lot of good exercise, and a lot of good sleep. Well, maybe not too much sleep. But the kids have an awesome time, and many of them will dedicate their life to the Lord. And in about two weeks after camp's over with, they're right back where they started from. And so you, then you've got to have camp again. So for years, I would have Christmas camp and uh, Easter camp, and I would have summer camp. So I had these camp because I knew it don't last for long. Well, even with adults, you come to church and you can hear the word, I'm going to serve the Lord all the days of my life. I'm going to straighten up and fly right. And before the next Sunday, you can't even show up because you've already done forgot about, you know, what God means to you. So then you've got to hit them again and then do it again. And it's just a constant battle. Wouldn't it be neat if we could always stay properly motivated? Proper motivation is the result of proper thinking. If you could cause a person to always think right, you can get a person to live right. Did you know in 50 years since I've known the Lord, I've never had to have anybody fire me up, challenge me to serve the Lord, to do right, to go to church, anything. Nobody has to. Why? Because I'm a grown man. I can think for myself. It's reasonable to me. So I don't have to have somebody always trying to pick me up out of the mud. I learned a long time ago, I don't, I don't like the mud. I don't have to worry about God chasing me every time I turn around. Why? Because I don't really want to get chastened. You see, I had a dad who beat the tar out of me every time I turned around. Scared me to death. Well, the last thing I want is for my heavenly father to always have to bring out, you know, the two before or the bullwhip. I would rather have his, his loving hand, his gracious hand, his mercy and his grace. I don't want to make God mad. So I can make decisions for myself. I wish that God's people would grow up and not be babies that are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes by. Some people is only as strong as the last person they talk to. But they never grow in the Lord. They never become strong the way God wants them to. So he also makes some statements over here. He says, when you come into the temple, he says, don't you remember the law I gave to Moses? Now the, the tribe of Levi, which was supposed to be the priestly Levi from where Aaron and so forth came from, and they're supposed to... Um, Offer the proper sacrifice at the right time for the right sin. 
And they were supposed to be without spot, without blemish. You know, you only wanted to give God the best you had. Well, if you look what he says here, he makes a statement down here in uh, verse 13. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it. And ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And ye brought that which was torn, lame, sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this at your hand? In other words, you kept the best and gave God the rest. I think there's something wrong with that. And so here we are, 2,000 years later, and people today, they want to keep the best and give God the rest, if there's anything left to give to God. God only receives a little tip from us every once in a while. What does people really sacrifice? What do you really give up to show God, I love you? God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to down the cross to pay for our sins, to give us the free gift of eternal life. Give us the privilege of serving him on this side of the grave. And most people can't even say, thank you, Lord. You know, your whole life should be one big thank you to the Lord for what he hath done. If he never did another thing for you for the rest of your life, what he hath done is enough for me to dedicate my life to him. And I'm supposed to believe that I belong to him. Everything I have belongs to Him. So why should I be afraid of giving God anything that already belongs to Him? Whatever we have should belong to the Lord. And God should have the freedom of taking anything He wants. If God wants what you have, then so be it. What if He wants to take your health? Is He free to do that? Is He free to take your wealth? If he's, is He free to do that? I mean, you'll let Him do it without raising a uh, ruckus about that? What if he takes a lot of things from you and you don't see why he should do it? He don't owe you an explanation. God does not have to give you and I a reason why he does what he does. But if you read the Bible, a lot of times God will lay down principles in his word. And I preached a sermon a couple of weeks ago on because, because, because. Because God has a reason why he does what he does. Now I want you to look there in verse 14. In verse 14, he says, But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrificed unto the Lord a corrupt thing. And the Lord, here you are, and you've got two sheep. One is perfect. Nothing wrong with it. And you've got one that looks a little lame. It's a little on the sickly side. I mean, it's really bad. I'm going to give this one to the Lord. And God says, Don't you remember my law? In other words, what they were saying was, if you look there in verse 13, it's a wearisome thing to do what God wants me to do. Do you know what? Here we are, living in good old America with all the wonderful blessings that we have. I don't know how long, but wonderful blessings that we presently enjoy. And we have an option where we can either go to church or not go. We can pray or not pray. Well, see, we today, we don't have to pray to God, meet my needs, <laughs> Obama, meet my needs. And Obama says, hey, I can do that. All I got to do is keep raising taxes and taking all this money from all those rich folks and giving it to all the rest of you folks that don't have any money. That's called a redistribution of wealth. Our government doesn't have the authority to do that. But I'm not getting on that tonight. I want to, but I'm going to let it slide for a little bit. But anyway... He says in the last part of verse 14, 
and you ought to underline, for I am a great king. God, God said, I'm a great king. He said, I'm somebody. If I am somebody, why don't you treat me like I'm somebody? That's why he says over there in uh, uh, verse 6, a son honoreth his father, a servant his master. Where's mine? Where's my respect? Like that one comedian always says, I get no respect. I just get no respect. God says, why don't you respect me? I want to show you something. There in chapter 2, chapter 2, he says, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. This commandment is for you. Now, what he says is, you do not take me seriously. You see when he says in verse 2, If ye will not hear, and if ye will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already. And why? See that word, because. Because why? Because you don't take me seriously. You don't lay it to heart. Do you believe that all God's children today, those who know Christ as Savior, take it to heart? That what God says, they take it seriously. You know, I guess maybe my problem was that after I trusted Christ as my Savior, I really believed, I really believed, this is the Word of God. And I believe that what God's Word says, I'm supposed to do. So for 50 years, I have try to guide my life by the principles found in God's Word because I believe that it's right. In other words, I have laid it to heart. I take God seriously. That's why I went to Bible school because I take it seriously. That's why I've drugged my wife and my kids all across this country and going to Indian camps in Oklahoma and Arizona and Iowa and Minnesota and Pine Ridge, South Dakota, why I've done what I've done? Because I take it seriously. But you know, got a lot of God's people today that don't take it seriously. They just think it's just—it's a weariness of the flesh. I get tired, bored. I don't want to go to church. You know, when I don't want to go to church, you know what I do? I go anyway. When I don't want to give a tenth of what I make and more, you know what I do? I do it anyway. Why? Because God said so. I do it because God wants me to do it. It has nothing to do with what I want. Serving God is not doing what I want to do. It's doing what God wants me to do. And God's people don't take it seriously. It is so important for people to see this and understand it. So, I want you to take your Bible and look in Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah chapter 12 and... Look at this scripture. There's a scripture that I want you to see. Jeremiah chapter 12. And look at it in verse 7. Chapter 12 and verse 7. In verse 7 he says, I have forgotten mine house. I have left mine heritage. I have given the dearly beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. In other words, God says, look, you have... No idea how much I love you. Remember when he started off with the book of Malachi, he says, Oh, how I love thee, how I loved you. Esau have I hated, 
talking about Edomites and so forth and that land there. But Jacob, he says, oh, how I love thee and what I've done for you. And he showed his mercy. And then all they did is just snub their nose at him. They rebelled against him, walked against him. And so he says down here in uh, verse 10, and you ought to underline this part, many pastors have destroyed my vineyard. Many pastors have destroyed my vineyard. In other words, there's preachers today that no longer believe that this is the Word of God, so they don't use the Word of God. And many people who go to church anymore don't even need to carry the Bible because they don't even use the Bible. Here, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the, the pew in front of you. And on Sunday morning, everybody needs to have a Bible because we teach the Bible, because we still respect the book. And if we respect the book, we ought to teach the book. But anyway, here in chapter 12, I want you to see another verse where it makes the statement that God says in verse 11, They have made it desolate, and being desolate, it mourneth unto me. The whole land is made desolate, and underline that statement, because it's the same as you read over there in the book of Malachi, because no man layeth it to heart. And remember now, this is over a hundred years before the book of Malachi. You see, that was the problem before the chastening. Seventy years in captivity, and they finally come back to the land. You think they've learned their lesson. And they were still rebellious. So God says there'll be a famine for the hearing of the word of God. And no prophets would speak. Four hundred years passed. It didn't have to be that way. It's just that that's the way it was. I'll look there in uh, verse 4 of chapter 2 of Malachi. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Now Levi was the, well, he was the son of Jacob, but he had uh, the ministry given to him of the priesthood. And that's where Aaron was their head honcho. And the Bible says, I made a covenant with him. And the covenant that he made with him was, well, look there very quickly in Numbers in chapter 25. Numbers in chapter 25. Numbers 25. And there's a couple of verses there that I think is important to see. He was zealous for the Lord. That he was. And it says there, and in verse 10, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake, among them that I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore say, Behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood. And here's why. Because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. Now, this is to the priest. Over in verse 10, it's a message to the people. 
But right now he's talking to the leaders. And as he talks to the leaders, he's letting them know what he thinks about their leadership and how they have failed to do what God says to do. They were given the law, and they did not obey the law. And he says, Levi, he was zealous for the things of God, and, and they weren't. So see there in verse 5, My covenant was with him of life and peace. Now, when you read the book of Deuteronomy, it'll also talk about, I believe in chapter 8, where it talks about, I have set before you life and death. When you go into the land, the promised land, God says you can have life or you can have death. He said, if you'll obey me, I will bless you. I will protect you. You disobey me, I'm going to curse you. And I'll use other nations to whoop you and take you out of the land. So God tells us what's going to happen before it takes place. You see, that's why you read the Word of God, so you can know the consequences of your decisions before you make them. Wouldn't that be helpful? To know the consequences of decisions before you make them. Well, some people listen and learn, and some people never do. But now, I want you to see the middle part of verse 5, where he says, And I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. That phrase, for the fear, wherewith he feared me. And you see, what does it mean to fear God? Just walking around, oh, I'm afraid of God. Yeah, he's going to get me. Yeah. That might have a little element of truth to it. But I believe it means more than that. Take your Bible and look there in the book of Proverbs. I want you to see this. In the book of Proverbs... And uh, chapter 1, Proverbs chapter 1, there is a, uh, several statements made here that I think is uh, very important. Because if so much was done because a man feared God, now you see what happens because men do not fear God. And there's people today who have no fear of God. The Bible talks about Amalek in the Old Testament. He feared not God. It means that you do not have any respect for what God says. Uh, people today in our country, you see, years ago, they used to have respect for the pastor. That has gone. People today do not have the respect for the pastor that they used to have. He doesn't speak with authority. People don't listen to him. They mock him, make fun. See, science has the voice of America today. Everybody listen to the scientist. And a lot of them are evolutionists, so you can see where that comes from. But look there in Proverbs in chapter 1. And look there in verse 7. You ought to underline verse 7. The fear of the Lord. Now notice what the fear of the Lord means. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fear of the knowledge. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, look there in verse 29. Verse 29. For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Remember this. To fear the Lord or not to fear the Lord is a choice. And people make choices. Some people can live their whole life and have no fear of God, no respect for God. They don't lay it to heart. They don't take them seriously. 
They do whatever they want to do with their life because it's whatever they want. It makes me happy. My life, I ought to be in charge of it and do whatever I want to do. I found out a long time ago there was God and there's me. And I am not God. God is God. And without Him, I'm a big zero. I am nothing without Him. So if I want to be something, then I need to follow Him. And I found out that following the Lord and doing what God wants me to do with my life is a choice. And nobody can make you choose to love the Lord. Love is a choice. But look what he says. For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. So not to choose to fear the Lord is to hate knowledge. But over there in verse 7 it says, But fools despise wisdom and instruction, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So not to fear God is a fool. A man's a fool. And what else does that mean? Well, since we're right there, I don't want to lose my place here in my Bible. Uh, look there in Proverbs in chapter 8. Look in Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. Look in verse 13. And you'll notice when he talks about the fear of the Lord is. In verse 13, the fear of the Lord is determined by what you hate as much by what you love. So to love God, uh, you have to hate sin. If you love flowers, then you should hate weeds, because weeds will do in a flower. But the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Why? Because God said so. The fear of the Lord is to hate pride. Why? Because God said so. The fear of the Lord is to hate arrogancy. Why? Because God said so. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Why? Because God said so. God said so. You hate what God says to hate. And you're to love what God says to love. And he says not to love the things of the world. And so many people love the world. So many people are in love with themselves. They're not in love with God. And when you're in love with God, you want to please God. When you're in love with yourself, you want to please yourself. Well, the Bible says that God created us for His pleasure, the book of Romans. If God created me to please Him, then my goal in life should be, what does it take to please God? So I seek to find ways to please God. 